Yesterday, I, was, uh, I went for a run, went to Prince's Island Park, sometimes go down and run along the Bow River, which, by the way, is running quite fast these days. You have to kind of avoid the river if you're going to run down there. So I had gone to Prince's Island Park and uh, was getting ready to go on my, on my run, and I'm kind of coming up a pathway, and I was looking at my watch, and uh, you know, because I'm going to set my time as I get ready to start down this pathway. So I'm looking at my watch, and I'm kind of walking up this pathway, a little bit of a, an incline, and uh, not really you know, paying that much attention about who's in front of me or anything. I'm kind of walking along, and I can feel that there's some people right in front of me, right where I need to go. And so I thought, well, I need to kind of work around these people. And so I looked up, for, I looked up from my uh, watch and almost walked right into Beth Moore. Now, for those of you ladies or gentlemen who know who she is, then now you're jealous because I was right there next to Beth Moore. And uh, I actually had a chance to talk to her for several minutes. She, she had turned around and she was talking to some ladies. If you, by the way, if you don't know who Beth Moore is, she's a prominent uh, female Christian speaker. And she's here in Calgary. She addressed thousands of ladies on uh, Friday night and over the weekend. Our ladies group has been for years now using Bethmore material in um, their Thursday morning class here at the building. And probably some of the rest of you have been using it in different classes and things too. And so uh, it was funny because I really, I heard her voice, which is very distinctive. I heard her voice before I actually saw her. And so I was, you know, I was just kind of looking up and I heard that voice and I thought, that sounds familiar. And then there she was. And so we actually had a, a chance to talk. And uh, I, you know, she turned around, ta- she was talking to some other ladies about how she was going to be going to the mountains. And then she turned around and I was just kind of standing there. I'm standing there in my running shorts and, <laughs> and shirt meeting this prominent individual. And, uh, you know, I just thought, well, I'm not going to miss this opportunity. So I just stood there for a moment and she turned around and I shook her hand and said hello. And, and then I said, well, I know you're busy. And she said, no, no, that's fine. And so we actually walked along together for, I don't know, 50 yards talking about various things. I told her I worked with a church here in town and she wanted to know all about that. I found her, I found her gracious. I found her genuine. Um, looks just like she does on the videos, surprisingly. So anyway, it was kind of cool. So if you ever uh, want to know about Beth Moore, Give me a shout. I can tell you all about her. We're best friends. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 28, that would be great. I think this is on page 795 or so in your pew Bibles, if you're looking at one of those. And I won't read the whole text here. I'll read a little bit of this. Paul has gotten to the end of his journey. He's gone all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. Which means that the book of Acts has gone from Jerusalem to Rome. We began in the very first chapter with Jesus saying to the disciples, And you shall be my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And when the writer says to the very ends of the earth, there's a sense in which he is headed in a very prominent, uh, headed toward this very prominent place, Rome. Because Rome is in one sense, the end of the earth. It's the epitome of the ends of the earth. Rome is dominant in this entire world. And so the book of Acts is headed constantly toward God's people getting to Rome, toward the proclamation of the gospel being before the emperor. And that's exactly what we find. It's very intentional that at the end of the book, we see Paul in Rome doing exactly what Jesus had said the church would be doing uh, as they move forward. And so I want to begin with uh, 
I'll start with verse uh, 21, 23. And what's happened is that there are some Jews, of course, living in the city of of of, uh, Rome. And Paul is wanting to have these Jews come and spend some time with him. And he wants to talk about uh, Jesus with them. And so it says in verse 23, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your fathers, forefathers when he said, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding, you will be ever seeing but never perceiving. And so Paul there is talking about how the Jews really don't receive Messiah the way that they should. And then in verse, if you go down to verse 28, it says, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. So for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him boldly and without hindrance. He preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, which is again, if you went back to Acts chapter one and saw what Jesus was doing, Jesus was preaching about the kingdom of God. And now Paul does exactly what Jesus was doing and what Jesus said the church should be doing. And that is proclaiming Jesus as Lord and proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting here as we get to the end of this chapter, you'll remember that Paul was under arrest. And it's kind of strange to think about him being in a place where he's got his own rented house. Uh, And there's various explanations for that. There was a certain kind of incarceration within the Roman system, the governmental system, that allowed a great deal of freedom to certain prisoners, especially Roman citizens. And Paul is one. So he may have had great freedom in that context, even as a prisoner, because he was a Roman citizen. And his crime, if you think about it, stirring up problems among the Jews, was not a particularly significant crime crime. And so he may well have been given some freedom there. It's also possible, and the text doesn't say this, it's also possible that by this time, Paul's trial has actually taken place. So that when we get to the very end, the writer's simply saying, Paul's now free. We think it's possible that Paul was incarcerated twice in Rome, once at this time where he was set free, and then later on arrested again and eventually martyred for the cause of Christ. That's a possibility as well. So we don't know exactly what's going on here in terms of Paul's incarceration, but he does have a great deal of freedom in order to proclaim the gospel. And it's beautiful the way the story ends here with the proclamation specifically of Jesus. Well, we do some proclaiming of Jesus ourselves. And I'm grateful that we do. I'm likely to forget something here this morning, but I just went through this morning, ran down uh, our missionaries, those who serve specifically as missionaries in response to what we do here and what we give. We have, for example, we know J. Don and Mary Lee Rogers in the Ukraine, and they've been there for over 10 years. Every year, J. Don and Mary Lee come back. They spend time with us around Christmas time, and they talk about their work in the Ukraine, and numerous of you give to that work, and I'm so grateful that you do. It's a wonderful thing that people in the Ukraine are hearing the gospel because of the work that we do here. Velapi and Stella are in Zimbabwe, and also for years, we have been supporting them. Um, Ron Bailey grew up in Zambia and in Zimbabwe, and his dad, who was a missionary there years ago uh, in Zimbabwe and Zambia, 
Vlape was one of his first charges and actually referred to Ron's dad frequently as his father. He would call Ron's dad father uh, because the Baileys had taken him in. And so we, uh, Vlape is now, I don't know how old he is, he might be 45 or 50, and uh, we are supporting him now, and he continues to do great work, especially, by the way, with World Bible School. So the World Bible School is kind of their main ministry, and they do a lot of helping of the, of the poor. Zimbabwe is a terribly impoverished country, and the Vlapi and Stella do a great job of ministering there. We know that Jason Moriarty, who's been here a couple of times recently, is uh, just beginning a new ministry in Australia, and Jason and Cheryl, we support them. Or He's one of our own, grew up here, and uh, then has a chance to go to Australia and minister and be a missionary. We're so grateful that we have a chance to be uh, to have a hand in that. The Lawrences, we still support them in India. Uh, Shabu's father and mother have been for years now serving in India, and we continue to support them. Ray McMillan makes his forays back to India as well, and we continue to support Ray and, and Ellen, especially Ray, as he makes those trip best trips back to India. Uh, to India. And then Wilson Ciazilo, which uh, Wilson's never been here. We don't know Wilson, or most of you don't know Wilson at all. The first time that I went to Zambia in 1987, I had a chance to meet Wilson. Uh, he is a school principal, works with the Zambian educational system uh, as a full-time educator. Uh, but he spends an awful lot of time in villages preaching and doing work there. And then he and his wife are in charge of about 10 babies in their own home on Seven Fountains Farm. Now, we send money to both Seven Fountains Farm in Zambia uh, to help with babies in one location, one house, and then we also send money specifically to help with Wilson and the babies that are at his house at Seven Fountains Farm. And so I wanted to read something to you this morning that comes directly from uh, Zambia in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'm, Zambia Mission Fund through the church in Victoria years ago got started. They do wonderful, wonderful work uh, in Zambia. And Joan Mann, uh, many of you know Steve Mann went to Western. Uh, Joan Mann is Steve's wife. Joan does a fantastic job of caring for the poor and, and is always willing to go to Zambia and spend time there and work with them. And she's, uh, she's in Zambia right now. Usually Steve goes with her. He's uh, at home now. But uh, Joan's in Zambia right now and, and uh, is getting ready to come home actually. But she's been there for a while. And she sends emails out talking about the, the, the things that take place. And so she said this recently in an email. She says, a new baby arrived last week. Her name is Chippo, and she was brought here following the death of her 17-year-old mother. Chippo had a swelling in her right nipple, which Doreen attended to last week, but on Sunday the infection had returned. Imagine a seven-pound baby with an angry lump the size of a walnut. We bundled her up and hustled to the Namuyanga Clinic and looked about for the nurse on duty. Our search only led us to a young man who looked like a schoolboy. Where is the nurse on duty, we ask. Oh, there's no nurse today. But Mr. Mabumwe said there would be a nurse until 18 hours. No, not today. There's no nurse today. May I ask who you are? Uh, well, I'm the clinical health officer. Yow. He was in a ball cap, T-shirt, and blue jeans. Clement C. Mumongwe, I don't get all these names right the first time, kindly forgave my ignorance and examined Chippo. Marlene held the baby while Clement lanced the infection. The baby howled, and I paced and prayed. The mini-surgery was a success, and we brought a very exhausted but relieved baby home. She's on antibiotics every six hours, so Marlene and I are caring for her around the clock until all is healed. Chippo has roused the maternal instincts in both of us, and we're enjoying fussing over all seven pounds of her. 
In late February, another Chippo arrived, this one with a twin sister named Chibata. They're growing well and smiling now, and today Joyce gave them their first haircut. She laid them over her lap and with utility office scissors snipped away until both girls were shorn. They didn't like their first haircut, but posed for photos regardless. Now, I can't think of any ministry or way of, of dealing with people that is hands-on more than this is. Uh, Joan Mann and Marlene McClure and Doreen Mann are there taking care of little babies for a short period uh, at this particular house, ministering to these, uh, these newborns that come in. And what happens, this is a typical story. In fact, this is what happened in Megan's case, that a mother dies out in the bush uh, giving birth to a baby. In this case, it was a 17-year-old mother. She passes away, and then uh, they take the baby into one of the orphanages that we support, and then they take care of those kids. Sometimes they take care of them for a long period of time, sometimes a shorter period of time, depending on whether or not the families are able to uh, take those kids back after a period of time. So here's another uh, little snippet. Some days you just have to have a little cry. Last week, Margaret from Plateau Farm came to ask for transport money to get to Zimba for a medical review. We've met this lady in the past and given her a ride to Namuyanga Clinic. She suffers from asthma and at times is so weak she can't walk. Namuyanga Clinic has recently re- uh, referred her to Zimba Hospital where there is a doctor and more resources, but help was needed for bus fare. I told her that the church at Seven Fountains would help her with transport money. Now when Joan says the church at Seven Fountains, what she's talking about is a couple of families that meet at Seven Fountains Farm and those are the people that we sponsor. I told her that the church at Seven Fountains would help her with transport money and I would drive her to the bus station in Clomo on Monday morning. Margaret came this morning, carried by bicycle, and while waiting for the ride to Clomo, she lay down on a bench. She was weak and cold, and when she spoke, I could hear that her lungs were struggling. A dear young woman, a mother, I found a warm coat for her that was my mother's, and I put it around her. Wilson and I prayed for her, and the tears just came. Life is not fair. Yet we know that God makes all things right. She visited us again on Saturday, now feeling a little stronger, but now with the diagnosis of tuberculosis in addition to her asthma. It was good to see her looking somewhat better. Another little snippet. Late last week, Abraham's father came to visit his son and let us know that the family was ready for him to return home. Abraham has been at Casenza, That's where Joan is staying there on Seven Fountains Farm, uh, one of these homes that we support. Abraham has been at Casenza since October, a long time in a toddler's life. His family live in Marigamonde, an area behind the Coloma Hospital, and starting on Friday, we began transitioning Abraham home. The turn is just before the driveway for the hospital, a challenging piece of road for the little truck. We named it Atlantic Drive after the ocean and commented each time that the storm was fierce. Now, what Joan's talking about here is that they're just driving out through the bush and they don't know, you know, the place where they turn, it's like, turn at that tree. (laughs) And so that becomes Atlantic Drive for them, you know, that's next to the river. So uh, that's Atlantic Drive. Um, From here, we uh, we turned a ride onto Chally Drive, named for somebody who accompanied us on one of the trips. Each time we arrived with our little charge, his mother's face lit up with a smile. She calls him Abra. 
Now, probably what happened in this case is that the father and mother were not able to provide enough food for the baby. And so they brought the baby to be cared for at Consenza House for a certain period of time until the baby's healthy and the family's in a position to take him back and to, uh, you know, to care for him the way they could. Either that or, and this often happens, is that the mother passes away on childbirth, but the husband will quickly remarry. And so this could be a stepmother that's there. Um, so she calls him Abra. Friday after uh, Friday, Abraham stayed for two hours, Saturday for four hours, Sunday for eight hours. So they're kind of uh, warming him up to be with his family again. Today, we packed up his things and the aunties said goodbye. Delphister, a sponsored student in her cat year, uh, she's a nurse, uh, came along to hold Abraham. She's grown particularly fond of Abraham and was very sad to see him go. When we arrived on Monday, Abraham's father was waiting for us, and when Abraham saw him, he held out his arms and leaned over for his father to hold him. I said a prayer of thanks for this sign of comfort from Abraham. He knew him. Papers were signed and belongings were handed over and a last hug for Abraham. And so I took Delphister for ice cream because she was sad. And then one last note here. Our little Chippo is developing fat cheeks and today weighed in at 4.4 kg. She's six weeks old and this morning went for her first DBS test. That's a dry blood test, it says. This test will will determine the presence of HIV antibodies and is recommended because the status of her mother was unknown. Many HIV mothers have healthy babies and if the status is known to be positive, there are risk-reducing measures that can be taken, but the safety of the baby is unknown until tested. In about a week's time, we'll know if CHIPO is reactive or non-reactive our hearts will either be joyful or heavy. And the fact is that there are many, many, many babies who come uh, to Kensenza or to go to Wilson's house uh, who, uh, who are HIV positive because it's so rampant uh, in the country there. Well, I read all those things to say, as we sometimes do, that it is such a blessing that we have a chance to serve in the ways that we do. Like if you ever think to yourself, does the money that I give ever really get into somebody's hands uh, like positive, in a positive way? I mean, does it really get into the, into the right hands of those that we intend to give it to? And indeed, it does. Like, it's an amazingly short, direct transition from giving money in our church to having those funds directly support children in Africa. There's almost no kind of middle man or any kind of administration that goes in there at all. It's virtually 100% goes directly toward taking care of these little babies. And as you can hear, uh, like it's, it's very hands-on and very personal. This is not a huge organization. It's a small organization, but they have a chance to, to minister to so many children in a direct way. Well, when all of that happens... What's really happening is that the gospel is being proclaimed. You know, years ago, I, I, don't, I don't know what decade it was. If Ron was here right now, I know he's coming to the second service today, but if Ron Bailey was here, I could ask him what decade it was that his father went to Zambia for the first time. I, like, I think uh, that Leonard, I, I want to say like in the 30s was the decade in which he first went to Zambia and began to minister. And so... I'm sure it was at least the 40s. And so for decades now, our people, and with direct connections related to us, 
have been taking the gospel to a place like that. And as I read, it's not just there, but we support India and Ukraine and Zimbabwe and uh, Australia now. Isn't that a blessing? Like, isn't it it wonderful to know that the gospel is being proclaimed in those places through us, that we have an impact on what we're doing? One of the things that's so prevalent today is that young people in our world, when they think about Christianity, the one thing that they seem to constantly go back to is that they want to know that what they're involved in is doing something. Like, they don't want to just mess around here. They want to know that there's some kind of practical result occurring because they're involved in a certain kind of project, whether it's giving money or being involved with the church or whatever um, volunteer organization in which they're involved. They want to know that something is happening on the ground, real impact taking place. And I'm excited about the real impact that takes place through our church. That is absolutely wonderful. Now, what I would say in response to all of that is that it needs to continue and it needs to continue most directly here in Calgary. That we have opportunities to be as on the ground and effective in Calgary as we do in Zambia. That we have opportunities to be as effective on the ground here as we do in the Ukraine. That there are people around us everywhere who need Jesus Christ and we have an opportunity to minister to them, to have an impact on their lives. You know, we may not have the same kind of orphan situation here that they have in Zambia. In fact, I know that we don't. However, you and I know that there are around us everywhere single mothers, many of whom struggle and they might struggle financially, They might struggle emotionally. They have all kinds of needs that we could work to meet if we're aware and if we're willing. We know that around us everywhere, there are people who may not have AIDS, but they could well be alcoholics or they could be on drugs or they could be selling drugs and they need Jesus Christ and they need him badly. And you work with them or you live next door to them and your children go to school with them. And there are children in our society around us everywhere who are abused. And your kids go to school with them. Or you live next door to them. And we have opportunities all the time if we're willing to take those opportunities to minister to these people who so badly need the gospel. I was reading a book in the last couple of weeks talking about how uh, ministry within the church is, of course, patterned after the ministry of God. And that God is, first of all, relational, in that there are three within the, within the Trinity, and so they're relational with one another. And so we need to be relational to one another. But then the whole point of the relationality of God and his three personhood is that those three persons go into the world in order to minister. And so Jesus Christ comes to save humankind. The Holy Spirit comes into the world to minister to our hearts and to give us peace. The Father supervises the entire situation and governs all of humanity and all of the universe. And so the, 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 the Godhead itself or himself 
has within it this outreaching tendency. God is one who reaches out to humanity constantly. That's who he is. That's what he's about. And and the book was raising the question. It was simply asking this. If that's the case, if the whole point of Jesus is to seek and save the lost, as he says, if he came into the world to do that, if God's whole objective in, in all that he is, is to save humanity and to minister to us, to reach out to us, to love us, then if we want to be called God's people, if we're going to say we are Christian, is it possible for us to not reach out and still say we're Christian? That's an interesting question. If everything that Jesus is, is an attempt to reach out to humankind, if that's his whole existence in one sense, is the saving of us, the reaching out to us, if that's all that he's about, really, is loving us, then is it possible for us to identify ourselves with him and say we're following him, we're his children, we're Christians, and not reach out? It's a good question. It's like being a baseball team and saying we're baseball players and we're a baseball team. Really? Well, what do you... Do when you get up to the plate. How good a hitter are you? Well, we don't hit. We just throw. That's what we do. Well, how do you score runs then? We don't score runs. Well, but you're a baseball team? Well, yes, we're a baseball team. We don't hit, we don't score runs, but we're a baseball team. We enjoy being a baseball team. Like we get together and we play baseball. Really, do you play other teams? Well, no, because they always hit and run and score runs, and we're not really into that. We just get together. Well, I don't know that you would say that you're really a baseball team if you're not hitting and trying to score runs. We're a hockey team. What do you do? We skate. We love skating. We get together and we skate and we, oh, we're great skaters. We're incredible skaters. We're the best skaters. We're better skaters than they have in the NHL. We're amazing skaters. We are like figure skaters. We're so good. Well, what, what about shooting the puck? Well, we don't actually carry sticks. We find that they inhibit our ability to skate. So do we, we don't carry sticks. We don't score goals. It's not really our objective. We just love to skate. We love to put on our gear. You know, you put on the sweater. You look like a hockey team. You put that helmet on. You skate around. It is fun. Well, that's great. But that's not really what hockey is all about. And I think there's a point to be made here about the church. Because I don't know that the purpose of the church is to gather on Sunday morning. I don't know that the purpose of the church is to worship together the way that we do on Sunday morning. If there is no outreach that's going on because we're the church. Do you see what I'm saying? Like for us to gather together on Sunday morning is definitely part of what it means to be the church. But I don't think it's the most important part. 
When I read through the book of Acts, I see them meeting together, but that's almost like something that happens uh, as a consequence of being the church. It's not the heart and the purpose of being the church. The heart and the purpose of being the church is to go from Acts chapter 1 to Acts 28, headed for Rome, where you can proclaim the gospel. And Jesus is proclaimed in Acts 28, and it's very clear that at the beginning that was the purpose, and at the end that's the purpose, and everything else is pretty much sideline stuff, including, I think, in one sense, what we do on Sunday morning. Like, I'm very grateful for what we do on Sunday morning. It's wonderful that we gather in the name of Jesus. He wants us to. The things that we do here are wonderful, and they honor God. But if we think that this is our purpose, I think we've missed something. I think we've missed something. And I think it's fascinating to ask the question, can you call what we are Christian if it doesn't include the outreach that was the very purpose of being the Christ. And if the very purpose of being Messiah, the Christ, is to go into the world and minister to hurting people and to bring them back to God, if that's what Jesus was all about, if that's his main purpose and we're not doing it, then we just missed the main purpose of what it means to be Christian. And there's something wrong with that. And it needs to be corrected. I'm hoping, oh, I pray that God blessed us through this study. That we can see how front and center and purposeful this whole notion of outreach into our world is. And how that's what the church is. Is to be this ministering, reaching out kind of people. And that if we're not doing that, it's difficult to say that we're Christian. Because we're not following Christ. We're not doing what God calls us to do. And so, as I said, you've got people around you everywhere. They need Jesus. We need to have our eyes wide open for the needs that are around us. The people that are around us who so badly need Christ. And we need to be a people that goes, that goes into our world with the gospel, with purpose, fulfilling ultimately exactly what it is that God wants us to do. You know, I read all these kind of things at the beginning here about our missionaries and these stories from Zambia. They're absolutely wonderful. It's fantastic. I'm grateful that God blesses us in that way. One of the blessings of being in Calgary is that we have the money in order to contribute so that ministry like that and works like that can take place. We need now to supplement that gift with our own activity in our own community, ministering to those who so badly need Jesus. And I hope that you leave here today thinking to yourself, what is my responsibility in this? How is it that I can contribute to the work that is so clearly at the center of the book of Acts? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege we have of being your children. Thank you, God, for the ministry that goes on here. I praise you for uh, all the work that's done in other places. I'm glad that we can give and give abundantly and that others are blessed through the giving that we do. 
Father, I'm grateful that we can gather on Sunday morning and praise and worship and honor you. I'm grateful that we do all the things that we do here that praise your name. But Father, more than anything, I pray that you would help us to fulfill the number one purpose of what it means for us to be followers of your son, Jesus. And that is to help other people know Christ. Help us, Father, as Christians to devote ourselves to helping other people around us see the goodness of Jesus and give their lives to him. I pray this through Jesus. Amen.